I just want to say good morning to everybody here. My name is Pastor Derek. I'm the lead pastor here at Renewal Church of Chicago, and I just want to say thank you for being with us this morning. If this is your first Sunday here, thank you, thank you for being with us. Dan mentioned it earlier, but if you would, just fill out one of those those bulletin inserts that go inside of the bulletin. If you didn't get one, they're right outside on the back desk, on the info desk. You can fill that out, and what we'll do with those is I'll get back to you, and I'd love to take you out to get some coffee or tea, get to know you a little bit more. Uh, yeah, there we go. Let there be light, God said. Amen. There we go. It, it, but I, I would love to get to know you a little bit more and get to know who you are, get you plugged into our church. If you want to serve here at our church, you can indicate that at the bottom, too. Take that, fill it out, put it into the offering baskets as they go around. If you didn't get one and you get one on that table out there, just leave it on that table. We'll get back to you here in the next week or so. But I look forward to getting to know you a little bit. I got a couple announcements. Well, one thing that I really want to say is that we just launched our groups. We just started our groups back out. So anybody been in groups last, week, last year, make some noise. Yeah, yeah. Groups where groups are our time. If you've ever been in a small group at another church or so, this is where we, we get it in throughout the week. We take the high vision that you hear on Sundays from the preached sermon, and then we go through the week with it. We take that and we break it down into practical bite-sized pieces so you can digest it as well as fellowship with people in community in your neighborhood as well as eat a meal with them too. So it's a sermon-based study that you go through, and it's about 10 to 12 people in it all over our city, and we have about 10 of them all over our city. So if you want to get involved with groups, I, I want you to get in there. Sign up. Over the next couple of weeks, they're going to start the week of the 10th. When are they starting? Week of the 10th. So you got another week or so to get your application in. Matter of fact, here we're going to do, everybody got a cell phone? Yeah, I told you to bring your cell phone out in church. You got a cell phone? Put it up in there. It's okay. It's not a sin. Put your cell phone up. All right? Cell phones in the air. If you go to www.renewalchicago.com, on the home page there is a banner that says groups. You can click that and it'll take you right to the page that you need to go to. And at the bottom of it, you can click the button where it says sign up now. And the reason I'm telling you this kind of elementary way is because I want everybody in groups. I want everybody getting in throughout the week, getting to know one another. You, you talk about being a multi-ethnic church and, and multi-generational and all the things that we're learning and we're doing these things together. It doesn't happen just here on Sunday morning, but it happens when we're in community with one another, getting to know one another, in our homes with one another. So fill that out. Join our groups. We want you in it. All right? All right. Y'all didn't respond to me, so let, let's, there we go. Um, last, before we get into the sermon, it's... I think um, a lot of our hearts have been touched a little bit by what's been going on in the past week or so with um, the Hurricane Harvey and things down on the coast. Um, I know some of you all have family members. Uh, we just sent Will and Layla out from here and they're down there, so we've been checking in with people down there in Houston and all over the coast. So what I want to do is that, because our hearts go out to them, I just want to take a time and just pray for them, if you would, with me. And we're going to bow our heads and I just want to pray as, before we get into the Word today. Father God, I just thank you so much for your goodness. <clears throat> you are a God that loves us, looks down low from on high and says, those are my children, those are my people, and you still care. So God, I just pray for those that are weary and heavy laden right now, God, that you would intercede on their behalf, that, that we would be the church that steps out, Lord, and 
and intercede and how we can and help and give whatever we need to do, God, I pray that we would be that, that we would be the hands and the feet of your gospel to help those in need, God, that we mourn with those that are mourning and we grieve with those that are grieving, that we be joyous with those that are joyous, God. We don't know why this necessarily happened other than the hurricane itself, God, but we know that this is a time where we can come together and your glory can be shone all over the nation. So, Lord, I just pray. That, that, that most of all, you be lifted up in the midst of this tragedy, but also pray, pray for those families that have lost loved ones, God, as they're grieving and they're mourning right now, Lord Jesus, that you would just console their hearts, give them a space to grieve, Lord, and I pray that in the midst of that, that you'd be lifted up, that their hearts would turn to you for hope and not other places. God, I just pray that you'd have your hand over everything that's going on down there and that you'd cover that place and the relief would come. Houses would be fixed. And if folks would come around, a community would thrive, God, as they rebuild that place. So Lord, have your way. And God, we turn to you in this time, because you are the redeemer, you are the one that's a healer of a broken heart, and you're the one, the God, that can bring all things together for your glory. So God, I pray that you will do that. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you have family down there or anything of that nature, and you need to talk to somebody, please talk to me or Pastor Luke. We'd love to sit down with you. Um, we're praying for you. We've been contacting people down there too, um, other churches too. There's ways to give too. If you want to do that, you can talk to us about that. Um, but we'd love to get you involved as well as um, if you're in here and you just need a place to sit down and, and just sit for a little bit, let us know. Without further ado, let's get in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles out on the info table. If you need one, we'll get one in your hand. But Jonah chapter 3, if you don't have a cell phone or anything like that, it'll be on the screen. Jonah chapter 3. I love it. We were getting back into Jonah. We had a break last week where Sean just talked to us about GTS and Grip the School and how we can outreach and be used for the good of the gospel um, outside of these four walls and inside of this this actual school. So if you didn't miss, if you missed that, check it out. It's from last week. But getting back into Jonah, we've been talking about this whole idea of running from God and how we are prone to run from God. Whether that's through just straight rebellion or just choosing to do what we want to do, we run from God. But the good news of the gospel is that we can never outrun God, and He still chases us even when we run from Him. And we see that all throughout the book of Jonah. So Jonah chapter 3, if you got a Bible, won't you open it and stand with me to your feet? If you're able. Jonah chapter 3. Here now the reading of God's Word, starting in verse 1. The text reads, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. 
and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed on drink or water. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man say, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The very words of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, an immediate reaction leads to an immediate response. Can you say that with me? An immediate reaction leads to an immediate response. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask right now, if we have read your word, God, that you would hide me behind your cross and that you would be lifted up in this place, Lord Jesus. Let me decrease so that you may increase and your people would hear from you. God, I pray that the meditation of my heart would just be acceptable in your sight. Let the words, God, that come out of my mouth be yours and not mine. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. How many of you guys have kids in here? Yeah. I got four of them. beautiful daughters. I love them. But lately, I've been teaching my daughters how to respond to mommy and daddy, and more so, how not to tell lies, how to, how to respond correctly to us. You see, because they're about that age right now where they think their little brains are bigger than mommy and daddy's. So that they want to measure what they know next to us. So they're just trying to challenge us. They think they might know more than us. They, they think that we've never been where they have been. And see, here's the truth. We all have been there once before, right? We, we all challenged our parents. We thought they, that we knew more than them. They've never been through what we've been through, right? You see, and probably because they used to tell us stories like, I remember walking up the hill three feet of snow through the rugged winds just to get to school, and then on the way home, I walked back up that hill three feet of snow, and I'm sitting there scratching my head like, how in the world did you walk up the hill both ways? But see, what they're trying to get at is that you don't know how good you actually have it. But see, we think we know more, so I've been trying to tell my daughters, like, in times of getting in trouble or getting caught, just tell me the truth. Don't lie to me, just tell me the truth. You might not get in trouble. Depending on how you react to me catching you, there will be a certain response. But if you don't tell me the truth, if you lie to me, I, I can promise you this, it's going to be far worse when you lie to me as if, and, and, if you didn't tell me the truth. See, but if you tell me the truth, you just might not get in trouble. Might. But it's going to be far worse if you lie to me. But see, why is it though, in times of trouble, when asked about it, and this doesn't just happen with my daughters, it happens with us too. Instead of just telling the truth, we start to hide. 
or we, we lie about what's actually happening, making the consequences actually worse in our lives. And the truth is, if I'm asking you about something or telling you or somebody is coming to you, confronting you about something, I probably already know the truth or I have an inclination one way or the other. So it's probably best if you tell me the truth, you might just get some grace. But see, friends, the problem is we don't do that. We tend to lie. We tend to hide. And the problem is we do the same thing with God over and over and over again. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you know Jesus or not, we know it's not right to lie. We know it's not right to steal. We know it's not right to cheat, all these different things, but we still do it. And we just live our lives like nothing happened. And if confronted, we either lie or we hide because we have been in this little sinful messiness of our life for so long to the point where it actually probably doesn't even feel bad anymore. So we've reconciled in our mind that it's okay. And now when confronted with it next to the word of God in our lives, it means nothing. We validated the problems and the things that we've been in so long that it means nothing. And instead of maybe experiencing the grace of God, by coming to him, we lie. We just sit in it, sit in our feelings. And see, in our text today, you're going to see two different characters, two different characters where God is confronting both of them. He's calling them both, Jonah and the Ninevites. He's trying to use one, and one he's trying to save, and they both have a reaction, and they both get a response from God. So I want to preface this sermon this morning with this question. How do you respond to God? How do you respond to God? Whether in times of trouble, rebellion, or good, how do you respond to God? Today I have two points. Number one, God can use the unusable. And number two, God can save the unsavable. And for you English majors, I know that's not a word. I made it up. It sounded good, though. God can use the unusable, and God can save the unsavable. Now, by way of review, as we get into our text in chapter 1, we learn that Jonah, Jonah, he's a prophet, and, and God is sending him to go to this place called Nineveh to, to, to declare his righteous judgment against the Ninevites, and he, he calls, he's supposed to call them out because of their evil ways. Now, family, remember, the Ninevites, if you were here in week one, they're a cruel people. They're wicked people. They're known for capturing their enemies and shackling them up by their ankles and and holding them in the town square upside down so people can just punch them and mock them and ridicule them. Or when they capture somebody, they'll take their spears and gouge out their eyes and and put hooks in their lips and hooks in their noses, and they pull them back to the town with chains wrapped around those hooks. They were some cruel people. Nobody liked the Ninevites. They, they were, they, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and the, the Israelites hated the Assyrians. They were always at war with them, and the Assyrians actually captured them at one point, and they intermarried with them, and this is where you get the, the Samaritans. This is why in John chapter 4, you see the disciples don't want to go anywhere near Samaria. They do not like the Samaritans because of the Assyrians. This goes way back. They hate each other. And here in chapter 1, God is calling Jonah to go to these very people, the people he hates, these cruel people, and declare God's judgment in the midst of their evil. And my man Jonah's like, you got to be kidding me, God. You know what they do to people like me. I can't go there. There's no way. So he rebels, jumps on a ship towards Tarshish, and, and a storm breaks out. 
He sleep at peace, and, and, and the sailors find him, and they figure out that it's because of him that this storm is happening. So they end up throwing this man overboard, and, and, and God causes the storm, storm to cease, and all the sailors put their faith in God, and Jonah now is sitting in the belly of a well for three days and three nights. This leads us to chapter 2, where we see Jonah declare that salvation belongs to the Lord because he realizes that when he was at wit's end, he's ready to throw in the towel, he's ready to give up, God saved him by this well swallowing him. See, he realized that the fish was actually just a part of God's plan of salvation. Now, now here's the thing, family. Again, Jonah is a prophet. He's called by God to declare the word of God to the people. He knows God, but hear me, he still fails. He still rebels. And the word for people like me and you who are not prophets is that no matter how much bad you do or how much sin you do or how far you run or how much you rebel, you can never outrun God. You can never run too far to where he cannot save you. See, God is a sovereign creator who has created all of us in his image. And although we are here and we may be running from God, he wants us back and we will never be able to outrun him. You see, when he's in pursuit, you might as well just go ahead and pull over. You can have it the easy way or you can have the hard way like Jonah and rebel. You may have walked in here this morning, and you're running from God. You're running from Him, or you're rebelling, and you're doing something maybe you, you know you should not be doing, or you're involved in something you should not be involved in. Won't you just trust Him this morning? It is the most freeing choice you will ever make in your life. And this all leads to where we are in our passage today. See, Jonah... He's just declared that salvation belongs to the Lord, and this great fish spits him out on dry land. Now, in the text, it begins with the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. See, Jonah does not ask God, what would you have me do, God? No, God comes to Jonah. It's almost as if Jonah still hasn't arrived fully at the place where he's like, God, use me however you want to. God, do with me whatever you want to, which we're going to touch on a bit throughout this sermon today. Now, you have to love the wording around where it says the second time because it lets us know that God is determined. He's determined and he's persistent in what he's called Jonah to do, which means that he's persistently running after his people. He's persistent in trying to save them. He never gives up. See, God doesn't have to tell the Ninevites anything. He doesn't have to declare his righteous judgment. He could just wipe them out. He doesn't have to use Jonah, but he chooses to use Jonah. And see, what we learn is that God is a merciful God and he's also gracious. God says, tell them the message that I tell you. I love this, see. And now, now, this should be a message to us here because you may feel as if you're not doing exactly, exactly what the Lord has called you to do. As a believer, you may have feel, feel like you, you didn't respond the right way to what God may have told you to do. And, and here it is. God is merciful. And he will not let you go. It doesn't matter how much you sin or how 
much you rebel, remember you can never outrun the chase of God. You can never do enough bad. You can never sin enough to where he still can't save you. You're loved and created for a purpose, which is to glorify him. It's not about you, but about God. And see, when we begin to realize that and understand that we're supposed to live for the glory of God and not your own selves, there's freedom. There's freedom because to live for him and in living with him, you you start to learn how much he actually cares about you. You see, when you live for him and, and you learn about him and how much he actually cares about you, there's no more searching for your identity and fulfillment anymore. It's all found in him. There's no more rebelling anymore. You don't have to do that because everything you need is in him. See, God had to remind Jonah of that. He had to remind him of that and and that it was him who called him. He had to remind him of his sovereignty and, and his goodness through this big fish and the storm. But watch this. You, you gotta love God's wording this time when he talks to Jonah. He's, he, he now says, deliver my message. Deliver my message that the message I give to you instead of saying, tell them their evil has come up before me like in chapter 1 verse 2. There's a subtle difference here, but it's a big difference. See, the difference here is that God puts the emphasis on deliver my message. Not your message, Jonah, but my message. It's coming from me. Jonah, let me remind you, you're just a vessel being used by me. This is very important. It's important, important because Jonah, he's a prophet. He's a prophet and God reminds him, look, look, you're delivering my message. It's not about you because Jonah, y'all, he's not feeling the Ninevites. He doesn't want to go anywhere close to them. He does not like the Ninevites. So if, if he just tells them the same message, go tell them your, my evil, your evil has come up before me and I have to judge you. I could just picture Jonah be going in there like, yo, you better watch out. God's going to get you. He's going to kill all of y'all. Oh, it's about to go down because he does not like them. And God's like, no, 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 no. Jonah, you're going to go tell them my message. It's not about you. You're going to tell them my message. I don't care how you feel about these people or how you feel about what I've called you to do. I've called you to do it. And in this case, it's to go towards and talk to a people you don't care about. This is my message. It's not yours. And see, here's the thing, because this is a word for us. You've heard me talk about it before all throughout this series, is that sometimes we don't like to follow God because he calls us to do things that we don't want to do or we don't feel are right. See, we may not like a certain people, a certain group of people, or place, but hear me, God's not discriminating his salvation plan based on who you like. You might not want to go to the south side or the west side of Chicago. You may not want to talk to that white supremacist. Yeah, we took it there. You may not want to talk to your black or white coworker. You may not want to talk to the wayward family member or the friend that just left you hanging, but God is saying to you and he's saying to me, I love my creation. 
I love my creation on all people, no matter what they have done or where they've been, what they look like, I've created them. Now, I might not have created all that sin and messed upness in their heart, but I still love them. They're my creation, and guess what? I can still save them. I want them back. And friends, that's the same sentiment as believers we should have towards others, no matter who they are. See, God has to remind Jonah of this, and I believe we need to be reminded of it too. He says, this is my message. And these people, although you don't like them, Jonah, they're my creation, and I know they have done wrong, but that doesn't stop me from wanting to save them. That doesn't stop me from working in their hearts and drawing them back to me. It does not stop me. See, God cares no matter what. Isn't he good, family? He's merciful and gracious even when he does not have to be. And see, here's the thing. Even when we that know God don't care as much as God, guess what? He can still work. What do I mean? You look at this passage and you look at Jonah here in the text. Yes, he's declared that salvation belongs to the Lord, but he's still hesitant. He's still hesitant because God calls him again. He says, go to Nineveh. Now watch this. Stay with me because you can really miss this in this passage. Jonah listens to God, or at least it appears like he listens. He goes to this land, and the text says it's a great city. Nineveh was huge. It was three days' length. You walk from one side to the other. It took three days to get to one side or the other. It's a huge city. Three days walking. Now hear me, family, this is key, because the text says that Jonah just went a day's journey into the city. He just went a third of the way into the city, which speaks to him not wanting or really wanting to go. But watch what happens despite how Jonah feels or what he actually does. Look at verse 5. The people believed and repented. Y'all missed it. See, see, Jonah doesn't want to go. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even complete the journey, but the text says that all the people believed. They believed. Here's the point. God can still use you even when you're jacked up, still in process, or in rebellion. Again, family, he's sovereign. He's sovereign, and he doesn't need you or me to accomplish his will but by his grace, he chooses to use you and me. See, sometimes I think we think we need to have it all together when we come to God for him to save us or use us. Friends, hear me, that has never been true. That's never been true. As a matter of fact, none of us will so-called arrive until we actually meet God face to face. And then I still believe there's going to be a lot to learn then. We won't have it all even then. See, what I'm getting at is that God is not like the world. He's not like the world that, that tells you that you have to achieve, and through your achievement, you could be successful, and now you can be somebody. That's not God. God says, come to me, and when you come to me, you will be somebody because of me. It's the direct opposite of what you learn in school every day or outside of these four walls. See, God says, come to me. Come to me, and I will let you know your identity. You will know who you are in me. 
But everything else tells you work hard, do this, achieve, and then you'll, you, you'll, you'll find happiness, you'll find fulfillment. And that's not true. God says, all you got to do is come to me. I got everything you need right here. All you need is right here. You'll find yourself in me. God doesn't need you to be a scholar or sinless to be used. And some of y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. So if you don't believe me, let's take a walk through the scripture. Let's look at this a little bit. In Genesis, God uses a passive liar in Abraham to birth the nation of Israel. And now he's called the father of faith. In Exodus, he uses a stuttering, running man, and he's running away from God, called Moses to free the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. In Samuel, he takes this feeble little boy named David who commits adultery kills a man, and now he's named a man after God's own heart. You, you go to 1 Kings, and now he takes this man by the name of Solomon, who had hundreds of wives, who all sacrificed to other gods and worshiped them, but, but he still used him to lead his people. Shall I keep going? You get to the New Testament, God takes a man who's persecuting the church, killing them, locking them up in chains. He's the most zealous man of all. He turns on around, strikes him down on the road to Damascus, and makes this man the best church planner slash evangelist throughout all of human history. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Paul. What's the point? God has always used messed up people to advance his kingdom. Family, this is a word for someone in here. See, you, you walked in here broken. You walked in here purposeless, asking, what can God actually do with me? Why would he even want me? Friends, trust him. Trust him and come to him. See, one, he will accept you. And two, I, I almost can guarantee you, he can and will use you. Jonah is used despite where he's at. And the people believed. Now, you got to notice the people of Nineveh in chapter 3 and the sailors from chapter 1, how they react similar to God. They, they re react to his call. They both believe. But it's different than how Jonah reacts to God. See, these people in verse 5, without hesitation, they believe in God right after Jonah calls out and says, Nineveh will be overthrown. They then call for a fast. They put on sackcloth. From the greatest to the least of them, which means all of them. Now, family, there's something here to notice, which is how these people respond to God. There's no words, just belief turned to action. And here's the thing that boggled me. See, unlike Jonah, these people don't know who God is. They, they don't know that he's merciful. They don't know that he's a gracious God. They, they don't know that he has the power to say, they don't know any of this. But immediately when he comes into the land, they respond immediately by repenting and giving themselves to God. And check this out. It, it doesn't stop with the common folk in the land. It keeps going. But, and the text says in verse 6 that the word reaches the king. And he jumps up out of off his throne. He throws off his robe and, and covers himself in sackcloth and sits in ashes. Then he puts forth a proclamation to where no animal or person should eat or drink and says, let everyone turn from their evil way and from the violence. And here's the part that I love. Look at verse 9. He said, who knows? 
let me marinate a little bit. He said, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Man, you have to love the king's attitude right here. One, he acknowledges, I don't know this God. Because he says, who knows? And then he says, maybe, maybe he will relent. Maybe he'll turn. And see, those of us that know God and Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior here, we know 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But these people don't know him. They, they don't know about this God, but, but here's the point. Don't miss it. They still have hope that God might forgive them just like the saviors in chapter 1. And it's the opposite of how Jonah responds to God all throughout this book. They have the hope that God will forgive them, and they don't even know him. But yet, as soon as Jonah walks in and gives the decree, they repent. They put their hope in him. And see, he, he, here's what we, we can't fly over. These are people that don't know him. They realize their wrongdoing, and immediately they turn to him and ask for forgiveness. The point is, is that the proper response to understanding the supremacy and the awe of God is immediate repentance. It's immediate repentance. It's immediately turning from self-glorification to glorifying God with all of you. Now your life, life hashtag changes from what must I do to better myself to God, use me for your glory. Do whatever you will with me. And it begs the question, how do you respond to God? And this isn't just a question for the believer in here. It's a question for everyone. How do you respond to God? Because these people in the text, they don't know who he is. We know this from the king's response. He just knows based off of how I react and respond to God, it's going to either mean life or death. He says that right there in verse 9. So let me ask you, is your hope great enough to believe that regardless of where I've been, what I've done, God can still forgive me. God can still, he can still save me. See, sometimes... Here it is, believe it or not, I think we get into ruts. I think we get into these ruts in our lives where we're driven by our feelings. We've done so much and that we believe that we're unlovable by anybody. Our spouses, our friends, our family, even God. Be honest, I mean, have you ever been that low before? Things that you've done, you just feel like, man, I'm out, I, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. You, you're just feeling it. You're all in your feelings, and you're down in the deepest, darkest hole. And friends, hear me. Fe- feelings, feel, it, it's okay to feel. It's okay to feel shame. It, it's okay to feel guilt. It, it's okay to have feelings. God made us with feelings. Feelings are valid. They just might be misguided. And see, what I mean is that, follow me with this, is that you, you, you might mess up, and if you mess up, you should feel some guilt. You should feel some shame, or, or if you lose something or someone, you should feel grief. Or if someone hurts you, you can feel anger, you can feel hurt, it's okay. But here's the thing, it's what we do with those feelings. It's where they drive us. See, feelings can be valid, but they oftentimes are misguided. 
In other words, they can lead us to a place of toxicity or they can lead us to a place where we actually honor God with everything. They can lead us to a place where we don't honor God in this toxic place, or they can lead us to a place where we actually honor God with all that we do. See, let me put it this way. It's okay to feel, but it's not okay to wallow in those feelings and let them dictate how we do everything in life, or else you become a miserable person and always feel misunderstood because most people will not feel the way that you feel. Hear me, family, I got to get on my soapbox a little bit with this because we're dealing with this in our culture right now where everything is driven by our feelings. And it's okay to feel, but hear me, truth has to always usurp your feelings. For instance, it's okay to feel like it's okay to show up for work late because my boss is cool, he's easy going. But it's not okay to get upset and mad when he actually fires you because he has the authority to do that because you were late. See, see that's the truth of the matter. Or, or let me put it this way. It's okay to feel passionate about injustice or some other matter or situation, but just because you feel more passionate about something than someone else, that, it, it's not true that you're a better person than them now because you feel more passionate about them than somebody else. That's where we get Twitter thugs and social media soldiers. It's not okay. Let me bring it a little closer to home, though. It's okay to feel shame or guilt because you looked at pornography last night. It's okay to feel shame or guilt because you lied or you cheated. But it's not okay to wallow in that feeling to where you just start to believe God does not love me. Nobody loves me anymore. Woe is me, I'm horrible. That's where your feelings become toxic. But, but what if we turn that upside down and we started to visualize and look at God and say, man, God sent a savior down here to die for me and all my wrongdoings and that feeling of guilt and shame that we have from what we did, now we can visualize and realize all the good of Jesus on that cross and now it makes the cross bigger in our lives instead of us looking at ourselves more, we're looking at Jesus. See, to where when God looks down at us, he's not looking at your sin but instead, he's looking at his son saying, well done. Well done. All the while, we're as sinful as can be, but we're cloaked under the blanket of Jesus' grace. You see, because the fact that we can sin and still be alive right now, it should turn our eyes to Jesus because the wages of sin are death. So we should be dead, but the fact that we can still live the fact that we can breathe or feel anything lets us know that there's a God that loves us. There's a God that adores us and cares enough about us to give everything up for us. See, see, family, here, again, our feelings can lead us to a place of toxicity or to a place of honoring God. And in order for it to be a place of honoring God, truth must always usurp your feelings. Don't let your feelings take you to a place of toxicity. Remember God's truth and how much he cares for you. Hear me again, friends. Don't let your feelings usurp truth just like Jonah does in this passage. All throughout the book, my man is all up in his feelings. And see, in contrast, I have to believe when I'm looking at the women and the men of Nineveh, they're not in their feelings. 
But they knew stories about God destroying evil cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. They, they heard these stories where in Sodom and Gomorrah, they couldn't find 10 righteous men, so God destroyed the city. Or they heard about Pharaoh with the hardened heart in Egypt, Egypt where it took 10 death-ridden plagues to, let him, to get him to let go of all the Israelites. See, I, I have to believe that all they don't know God, that they, they, they heard these stories about God. They, they knew about him, but I also believe that they had heard about how God saved Noah, how he's merciful him how he freed the Israelites from Egyptian bondage and he kept them while they were still sinning and in their mess, in the midst of the wilderness. See, see, I have to believe that they knew all of this, but here's the real point, regardless of how they felt or what they knew, because neither one of those are mentioned in the text. The bigger point is that when God's judgment was coming towards them, they immediately repented and asked for mercy. See, irregardless of how they felt, how much wrong they had done, they still had enough hope to believe that God could forgive them and save them. And see, the point we must take away is that in the midst of wrongdoings or in our sin, our immediate reaction should not be to turn to how we feel or what we think about something like Jonah, but instead our immediate reaction should be to turn towards God and ask forgiveness. And see, the good news about this, according to verse 10 in our text, is that when we respond with immediate repentance, God responds with immediate forgiveness. Man, he's good. See, this is extremely important. It's important to understand because God is not a vindictive God. He's not sitting in heaven twiddling his fingers saying, man, they messed up now, they messed up here, I'm going to throw my lightning bolt and I'm going to strike them down. That's not God. He's not sitting behind the, the gates of heaven with a video game controller like, I'm going to get him now. I got him now. That's not God. He, he doesn't even go to the length of sending prophets to declare his righteous judgment anymore. That's not what he's doing. You know why? Because God looked down and he saw his people and he said, they still don't get it. So, so I'm going to do my active, ultimate act of mercy and grace. I, I'm going to send my son down. I'm going to send him down so he can live the life that they live, but at the end of it, he's going to die on the cross. So now all they have to do is believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, and they will be saved. Friends, hear me. Forgiveness was freely given back then with the Ninevites, and it's freely given now. But this time around, God doesn't need your sackcloth and ashes. He doesn't need what you bring to the table. He just asks you to believe. He says, believe in me. See, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you don't have to hope that God will forgive you anymore. But because of Jesus' death on the cross 2,000 years ago, when we come and believe, forgiveness and salvation is given immediately. Don't be like we all were growing up, figuring, thinking that we got it all together and we know all there is to know. We're the smartest kids on the block. And don't be like Jonah, all up in your feelings to where you can't get to God and you're running away from God. But instead, be like these Ninevites. Be like the Ninevites and ask for forgiveness immediately and expect an immediate response of grace and mercy. See, God is good, isn't he? You see, but the question is, how do we respond to that goodness? Let me end with this, because there's so many different folks here in this room, and we all respond differently. 
to this. And you may have walked in here like Jonah, and you're in rebellion. You're running away from God. Let me ask you, will you just give him your all, knowing that it's about him and not you? Will you lay down your life and say, God, do with me what you will? Or you may have walked in here and said, why would God want to do anything with me? I'm nothing. And you needed to hear the word that God has always used throughout human history, messy people for his good. Or you might have walked in here and you're like the Ninevites and you're saying, I don't know this God. I, I want to know him. Would you just call out to him and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Would you be my Savior and Lord? And when you do so, expect an immediate response of grace, forgiveness, and mercy. Family, hear me. God is still in the business of saving and using messed up people. Amen? Let's pray.